Anyway, it's good to see you. It's good to be together. The Lord's doing something so beautiful in the worship. And uh, I think when we catch a revelation that He's enthroned in our praises, something starts to happen in your heart because you realize that He chooses to enthrone Himself on what, this, on what comes out of your mouth, on the sound that you bring. Does that make sense? I, know, I don't want to speak like too over-the-top spiritual, but it's just the Scripture, right? It's like the sound that you bring and that you release, He enthrones Himself on that sound. And so maybe you're like, dude, I can't sing. You don't understand. Like, you don't want, you don't want that sound coming out. I want to say to you, actually, if, you're, if you talk, if you open your mouth, you're making noises that we've learned to understand. You are a walking sound, no matter what you do. And so the beautiful thing is that as we begin to grow in that, as we grow in our understanding of what we carry and who we are, uh, we get excited because we realize we can shift environments and atmospheres by just releasing who Christ is in us. Amen? You with me? Cool. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready? Turn to the other person and say, are you ready? I'm just buying myself time. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> if you don't know who I am, if you are new to 24-7, welcome. We love you. Um, we are after the presence of the Lord. We're excited about what God's doing. We've been in a beautiful season as a church. He's had us in a little farmhouse on a plot, um, just keeping it raw and real and stripping us of everything else so that we go after one thing, and it's Him. We know we need more space. That'll be in the Lord's timing um, as He opens doors for us of opportunity. But right now, we're, we count it precious that He keeps us in a lowly place, um, a lowly place of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, a lowly place of making sure that the gospel that's preached is truth, making sure that worship as we worship the Lord, how many of you know that the songs we sang today weren't about you and they weren't for you? Amen? <laughs> they were for the Lord. And so we, we were actually encouraged by that. And sometimes people get offended when we say that. But the reality is you weren't made to sing about yourself or to even live for yourself. You were made to live for Jesus. It's where freedom comes. Sometimes freedom comes from taking your eyes off of your situation and circumstance and putting it on Jesus. And worship helps us do that. It's when we begin to see who Jesus is and suddenly faith rises in our hearts. Amen? All right. Well, my name is Connor. I am uh, myself and my wife, Jess, and my beautiful family. We are part of the leadership team of 24-7 Church. So if you don't know who I am, I'm not just a crazy guy who hijacked the meeting. Uh, I'm meant to be here, I promise. Um, and uh, we're really expectant and excited. It's been a powerful uh, 10 days. We had uh, a guest from the 1040 window. If you don't know what that is, it's the Middle East, Asia, North Africa. It's a region in the part of the world with the most unreached people groups, meaning there are still somewhere around 3.2 billion people on the planet who either have not heard the name of Jesus or there is not a sustainable move of God in that region or nation, meaning there's no local churches for them to be discipled in. You hear what I'm saying? 3.2 billion people plus minus, maybe more. And so we had a guest. Uh, he's a, a worker in the field. He's been there for four years in Eurasia serving the Lord. And we've been partnering with them and their community. And God has opened doors for 24-7 in such a way that uh, it's hard to ignore. Is that my cell phone that's doing that? That's going to bother me so much. It's the generator. Cool. Praise God. Everyone lay hands. Just, you know, start praying for me. That's going to distract me so much. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> So the 1040 window, God's been stirring in our hearts. We've been saying yes to the nations. And, uh, and the doors have opened for us to begin to train and send and commission laborers into the field, into the nations, um, because the reality is someone's got to go preach the gospel. Hello? Cool. Because the reality is church doesn't exist for ourselves. We don't gather for ourselves. We're, we're gathered for Him. And He has a dream. And it's every tribe, every tongue, every people. And so I think church gets a little unhealthy when we make it about ourselves. Right? It starts to get a bit gross, actually. And so there's life when we begin to say yes to the movements of God, the movements of the Holy Spirit on the earth. And so we're, we're doing that. But with that comes wisdom, comes strategy. And so we had our guest here training us, teaching us around some of those things uh, on discipleship, on saying yes to the nations. What does it mean? What does it look like? And the result is beautiful because what it should do is make everybody want to say yes and want to go, which is awesome. But now comes the stewardship part as a house where we need to train up and equip mature sons and daughters that can go into dangerous places like this and actually carry the gospel and the love of God sustainably, not just for little trips, but actually for decades to come. Amen? Our goal is not to have successful mission trips. Our goal is to see whole people groups come to know the Lord. <clears throat> That's going to require lives laid down. 
It's easy to do a successful mission trip. We, I can rally you, do a sign-up sheet, book your flights, off we go. I can make it nice for you. We can do cool things, touristy things, maybe pray for one or two people and feel good about ourselves. But that's not what we're after. Sometimes it starts like that, but the reality is what we're after is seeing whole regions come to know Jesus, which means we need to equip local believers on the ground who will begin to disciple others and make disciples. Amen. So it's exciting that we get to be a part of that. Um, and uh, I'll be going through in April. There's a, a really beautiful time. Leaders coming together will be strategizing. The word that they're using is coalition. And so I'm like, Lord, thank you that you've invited us to a coalition, to actually working with local churches and, and, and missions movements in the region that want to partner with us because of what God's done in this house. That, is, that brings me to the, the lowest place in humility where I go, God, that you would want to use a little room like this, that what you're doing in here is actually having impact on nations on the other side of the world. Amen? And so I want to just encourage you to stir your heart that you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And when we come together on a Sunday morning like this, it's one expression, but actually your life and your life laid down for Jesus is part of a movement of God that's way bigger than two or three hours on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Amen. Like, how many of you know, uh, you know, Christianity was never designed or centered around Sunday mornings? It just wasn't. And if our Christianity is limited to Sunday mornings, we need to go and encounter Jesus again. Sunday mornings are a beautiful time where we come together to bless Him, right? But what you look like tomorrow and the day after that, that's what counts. He's after your heart. All right, amen. I'm not actually going to preach on nations, so I need to just pull myself together. We're actually in the middle of a beautiful preaching series um, on worship. And so the last two weeks, if you haven't listened to them, you need to go onto Spotify or whatever other podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere where podcasts are, um, and listen to the last two weeks. We're doing a series called um, House, no, Heart, House, Habitation. I get this wrong every time. Heart, House, Habitation. And it's on, on worship. And so two weeks ago, my dad spoke on uh, Heart. My mom spoke on a house of worship, and today we're going to try and cover as much of habitation as possible. Otherwise, we'll do it in two weekends. Um, but I'm really excited because in the middle of what God's stirring in terms of missions in the global south, we as a people need to be anchored and rooted and established in a culture of worship. Amen. Because at the end of the day, even going into the nations and preaching the gospel, it's unto worship. We want to see the Lord worshipped in these regions. So we need to make sure that as a community, we're rooted and grounded in a healthy culture and posture of worship. Um, and so we felt that as God was stirring a missional heart in this community, that it's important for us to be teaching and equipping us as a people in worship. So you need to go back and listen to that. Um, and I want to share a little bit around habitation. But before I do that, I just feel the need to encourage your hearts a little bit. Um, and so I'm going to just follow Holy Spirit, and then we'll dive into it. Um, <clears throat> how many of you know that there's only two ways to live your life? One, submitted to your flesh, or two, submitted to the Spirit of God? Amen. It's actually very simple. There's only two ways to live your life, and you'll find incredible joy and fulfillment in the one, and you'll find absolute hell in the other. You might experience instant gratification or satisfaction for a moment, but it never lasts, it never sustains you, and it always leaves you broken or wanting more. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> and, so, <laughs> and so my encouragement to us is that this isn't about getting it right. This is about what you were made to live in. <clears throat> you hearing me? If you've been in a season where you feel like, man, I've just been stuck in like fleshly thinking, fleshly living, and I'm not satisfied, I'm not fulfilled, I'm moving from one thing to the next, and I'm just searching for something to give me a sense of rest, something to give me a sense of hope, or something to give me a sense of stability, I want to encourage you and say it's not that you are wrong because Jesus removed all of that stuff. What, he, what, what he's leading us into is he's saying that's not where you were made to live. You were not born to be led by that space. You were born to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen. So right now, I know because I feel it in my own life, I don't know what happened like post-COVID, but the world got crazy, right? They just got psychotic, nuts, aggressive, like stress levels are through the roof, people are anxious, there's depression, there's all these things, and it's been building for years, but we're seeing it peak like never before. Majority of people are just not coping with life, right? 
And so we have an opportunity as the people of God, and I believe that it's probably one of the most important jobs or, or roles of a pastor and a leader in this time in the church is to make sure that people are equipped to have an, a daily intimate friendship with God that will keep them living, surrendered to the Holy Spirit rather than bowing to the spirit of the age, which will partner with your flesh all the time, right? Because what happens is pressure comes and you have a decision to make every time as to how you're going to respond. Your flesh wants you to respond by actually yielding to the pressure and actually trying to meet it or meet its expectations or prove yourself. And the Holy Spirit is actually saying, just so you know, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. There's no pressure when, when you're yoked to Jesus because He's carrying the weight. So the life of a Christian is wildly beautiful in the midst of deep darkness. Do you get what I'm saying? Because they don't, they, I mean, Jesus is so clear in, in Matthew where He's like, don't worry. He doesn't say, I know it's quite difficult, and so I just want to encourage your heart, like, try not to worry. He doesn't say that. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what's coming tomorrow. Today has enough problems in itself. Don't stress about tomorrow. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm your Lord. You need to trust me. One of the things that's come through so clear in this worship time is that somewhere it crept into our lives where we feel like the way that we get to God in terms of a heart of worship is to get the right priority list in your life. You know, we, we, we say things like this, God first, then my spouse, then my kids, then my business, and this is how we do it. And we think if we get life in order like that, we're doing a good job, and then I feel like I'm actually a worshiper. But scripturally, it doesn't say that. It says one thing. One thing I seek. One thing I desire. This is David. That I might gaze upon the Lord. Now, think about this. In, in Matthew 6, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be added. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say, prioritize your life, and if you get the structure right, I can bless that. Because can I just encourage you, you can't, you're not capable. You're not capable of, of prioritizing your life rightly. It doesn't matter how many times you say you put God first, the reality is just wait until that salary's late. <laughs> Just wait until something squeezes you a little bit to just test that priority list and how strong it really is. See, Jesus is not asking for, for, for you to make him highest priority. He's asking for you to make him all. Do you get what I'm saying? And when we do that, that's where we find freedom. See, <clears throat> the spirit of the world says this. Learn to get a grip on your life and you'll be free. Learn to, to get in control of your situation, circumstances, and in control of your finances, in control of your relationships, and control. Get control, and then you'll find freedom where you can actually take a break and rest and go on holiday. And we're just stuck in this cycle of brokenness because we can just never do it. And Jesus is saying, actually, seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll add that stuff. In other words, Jesus is saying, leave this to me, you come after me. You come after my heart. And when you do that and you actually trust me, meaning you can let go of that stuff. Hello? When you're able to let this stuff go, that's when you know your heart's in a place to actually yield and be His. And that's when your heart's free and suddenly you feel, okay, it's going to be okay. You can have the most wild, crazy day where everyone at work swore at you, you, you lost that business deal, all this stuff happened, but because He's all, your heart's free. Situation and circumstance doesn't shape or define who you are. A lot of us, and I can, if I can be so bold as to say a lot of you, and including myself, even sitting in this room, are desperate for rest. We're looking for rest. We're like, you know, I mean, I can go, wow, I was on, I was on, on holiday in January, and I feel like I need a holiday, and it's only been like a month. And so what we do is we perpetuate the cycle of, I need a holiday, I need a holiday, I need to make more money, I need to work harder now, make more money now, stress out more now, so that I can get that holiday. Then I go on holiday, come back, and it's like I need another holiday again, and it just doesn't work. And then we're like, you know, I just need rest, I need rest. But we don't know what we're talking about, because when we say rest, we think physical or soul, soul rest only. Most of us don't know how to rest our souls. We don't, we don't actually have the skills. But... What we forget is that your soul and your flesh are following something. They're looking to be led. And if your spirit man is not in Christ, your identity is not established in Him and rested in Him, then your soul and your flesh is going to follow the spirit of the age. 
And then you get tossed to and fro and dictated to by what's happening around you. And your soul and your flesh doesn't know how to handle it. And it's just crazy. And, and then what happens is we, we're susceptible to the attack of the enemy because we're quicker to believe what the world says than what Jesus said about me. So what this produces, soul and flesh living, produces this. I'm incredibly aware of the demonic and every demon that's around me and the spirit that's around me. And this is saying this and this and what's in my face and what's not in my face. And I'm not knocking it. It's very real for people. But the reality is all it is is a sign that our spirit man has gone quiet and we're not building up our spirit man in truth and allowing Jesus to reveal himself from our spirit into our soul and flesh so that actually soul and flesh is submitted to my spirit, which is one with Holy Spirit, so that I can rule and reign on the earth. Because the Holy Spirit is not one with your soul or your body. He's one with your spirit. Amen? So you actually have a responsibility as a child of God to lead your soul and your flesh. Now, I'm on this journey with you. I want you to know if you're new, I never preach at you. Everything I'm saying, I'm like, Lord, do it in me. We need this together as a family, right? I just happened to have the microphone and had some time to spend hours preparing for this. Actually, I didn't. I did it until early hours in the morning, but it's all good. Um, so what, what am I saying? Your heart needs to be encouraged this morning that if you're looking for ways to cope, stop. If you're looking for ways to survive, if you're looking for just how do I get through this season, let's make sure we, we don't call um, unbelief a season. Amen? I'm just in a season, because this is what happens. It's like, I, see, I'm on this side, the pastor side, where I can see it's like people will come and say, I'm just in a season right now where I can't serve, can't come to church, can't go to home group. It's just a season. I'll be, I'll be back. And I know it doesn't work. Every time I'm like, no, it's not a season. It's called unbelief. You're drifting. And people think, oh, it's because the pastor needs a, a room full of people so that he can feel secure about himself. That's why he wants me there. No, it's really not. Actually, I would have loved a day off today. It would have been great. But the thing is, I didn't come here for you and I didn't come here for me. I came here for the Lord. See, the Lord spoke to us very clearly that, you know, in terms of being in ministry, I didn't come into ministry because I was passionate about ministry. I had an encounter with Jesus and he arrested my heart with a word that's, that has literally in some ways forced me. I, I tried real hard to run away. I tried to even run away from this community years and years ago. And the Lord just arrested my heart and was like, you are not moving. And, you know, I pray that for you. <laughs> I pray that for you. I pray that it's like you can run, you can hide, or you, th you can try and hide, but you'll never be able to get away from the, the hand of the Lord on your life. I am in awe. Just recently, in, in the last couple months, I look at my life and I go, Lord, I know that you've given me free will, but it's almost like I don't have a choice because you love me that much. It's, like, it's almost like he loves me so much that he makes me feel like I chose this. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Now, don't get all weird theology on me. I'm just, I'm trying to encourage your hearts. And so, before we talk about habitation, it's important that you know where you're standing. See, because if you're living a life of trying to find peace with God, you've missed the gospel. You have it. You have peace with God. Can you feel that land? If you've been in a season where you are wrestling to find peace with God, we've missed the gospel because Romans 5 tells me, I have it. He did it. In other words, the only difference in that situation is that I'm not aware of it anymore. When we're not at peace, it's because we stopped looking at Him and we started looking at other things. Can I just encourage you, slow down. Because I don't know about you, but what happens is it gets so busy so quickly, life gets so fast that weeks go by, and I've had this thought in my head of I really need to stop and just be with the Lord, but it's like busy, 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 and you pick your head up and it's been three weeks. And that thought's been in your subconscious for three weeks. Just, I need to just, whoa, it's just got a little crazy. And, and I'll, let me tell you how it happens. It happens because you don't know how to say no to good things or things that seem good. Hello? It's hard. I'm saying this with a smile on my face because it's, it's real. But it happens. Life gets so quick because we don't know how to say no to what seems good. 
the biggest sort of ploy of the enemy right now is coming through your, your workspace. Because you might be in a season where you are extravagantly blessed right now, and I say, yes, thank you, Jesus. Just make sure that the blessing doesn't become Lord. Because that's when the blessing stops. Not because you're not blessed, but because you can't steward it anymore. You can't steward anything when you are Lord or the blessing is Lord. It has to be the Lord. When He's God and He's Lord of your life, you can trust Him. Because when there seems like a moment where there isn't that release, it's not because God hasn't blessed you. It's because He's teaching you stewardship. And when we've given ourselves so much to the promise and the blessing, we can miss the word of the Lord for the assignment because we wrapped up our identity in the promise or the blessing. So when He wants to use you to do His will, you're so tied up in hoping that He's going to help you with yours that you miss this. Right? I have people that come and meet with me and it's like they're begging for me to, to just tell them. Just tell me what to do. Because your heart knows you need a Lord. <laughs> people people are, are looking for strong leadership. And the temptation as a leader is to try and be all of that for you. But I can't because I need a Lord. And you need a Lord. <laughs> the Lord. And when He's Lord of your life, peace comes. And the Bible says in Philippians 4, 7 that it's a peace that transcends your understanding. In other words, you don't have to understand it. You just know it. So this is what makes Christians different. Life's falling apart around you, but you're good. Amen. So don't, don't survive. Don't cope. And, and can, I, can I be so brave as to say, if you're in that space of surviving and coping, the answer is not just to figure out how to get through it. Stop. Stop. Slow down. Listen. Wait. Say no. To the, say no. Say no so you can say yes. If, if the blessing is, is robbing your yes to Jesus, it's not Him. Do you know that the world can bless you too? Not heads. People are like, huh? No, I'm serious. Not every blessing is His. Because, and I, okay, I didn't plan on going down here, but I promise I'm getting to habitation. <clears throat> See, when we think blessing, we think material possession. Not every material possession or material blessing is from the Lord. Because I guarantee the enemy knows exactly how to distract you. Hey, this business opportunity could earn you more money than you've ever earned in your whole life. And we go, that must be God. Hello? We do that, right? That must be God. It sounds so good that it must be God. It's like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looks so good to eat. Yet it took them down a path of separation from the Lord, led them away from His presence, not to His presence. They had everything else to eat of. They were actually incredibly blessed already. They just couldn't see it because greed had entered their hearts. So... So don't you think it makes sense for the enemy to throw that at you a little bit? That one's for someone. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> Habitation. Smooth transition. <clears throat> See, we're born to carry the presence of the Lord. And I'm also convinced, just want to say this, you're born to carry the manifest, tangible, experiential presence of the Lord. See, God is... He's a lover. He's, he's relational. He's, he is king. He is Lord. He is ruler. He is judge. But he wants to be with you. It's why you're alive. It's why you're still breathing air. He so desperately wants to be with you. He is so after your heart. He's designed you to be relational. Okay? So let's go back to the garden real quick. When God creates Adam and Eve, well, he's, he starts off by creating Adam. And he, he gives this decree uh, over them, and he says, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion over the earth, okay? And if you study, we heard Travis shared some of this as well, and I don't have time to go into this, but um, the garden, you know, we picture a farmer, Adam, like he's actually got to do some farming. It wasn't like that. The garden was an oasis of the presence of God in a place called Eden, okay? And it was the, it was the first temple on the earth. It was the first sanctuary of the glory and presence of God. It was Mount Zion. And Adam is given this task and this responsibility, this role, 
of ministering to the Lord. It's the first thing that Adam's given, is to actually be there, to cultivate and keep it. It's uh, Genesis 2.15, to cultivate and guard and keep in that, this environment of the presence of the Lord. It's what we were doing this morning. It's to, with your spirit man and your heart, to begin to cultivate and guard an environment that gives God glory. Adam was doing that from the beginning. Then he's given this kingly authority. He is, he's given an authority to steward, which is take dominion over Eden. Take dominion over this region, not just the garden, over the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. He's given this mandate. It's a kingly, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's authority that he's, he's been given by God to express God's authority on the earth. And then there's a third thing, and it's a prophetic mandate. He's given this prophetic office where he's, he's now going to be the voice of God on the earth. So God says, hey, I created all these things, but I want you to name them. Now, this stirs my heart, okay, because it, it, it gives us insight into an aspect of the nature of God that I think we need to understand is that God really isn't insecure and He's not controlling and He's not manipulative. He is love. He's so free. He creates context. He creates an environment for intimacy. It's the playground for lovers. It's called earth. And He gives Adam a role to minister to him authority to take dominion, and then he says, there's a prophetic mandate on your life. I want you to speak for me. I want you to name, call out who these things, these beings are. Okay? But then it goes further. I believe he gets Adam to name, name the animals, and he's going through them all, elephant, zebra, lion, right? Naming the animals, and yet he cannot find one like himself. You with me? Can you imagine? You've been given this responsibility by God. You're moving through all of the created beings. You're naming them. You're operating in a priestly role, kingly role, and a prophetic role. Right? He's moving through, doing his job, and suddenly he realizes, okay, we've named them all, but his heart's longing for something. There's none like me. I see the elephants together. I see the zebra together. I see the... Where's... Where, Where's the ones like me? And I believe the Father gives Adam this opportunity to feel the longing of God's heart. That from the very beginning, God is going, I want one who's like me. God's intention behind creating everything that we know as existence was to create context for us and Him to explore love. It's why He wanted to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's like they didn't have to do anything. Everything worked perfectly. What was their job? Be with God. <clears throat> this introduces us to the heart of God for us as, as mankind, as people. That God's desire for us is He wants to be with us. Amen. So now Eve is a picture of the bride of Christ because he, he puts Adam to, God puts Adam to sleep. Now this, this blows my mind. Remember, he's introducing his heart to mankind. So he puts Adam to sleep, and he takes a rib out of his side, and he creates a woman who is beautiful. She's perfect. And when Adam sees her for the first time, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, meaning one who's like me. Now, just picture John 19 shows Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's, been, he's taken your place. He's your perfect sacrifice, your substitute. He took past, present, future sin, any obstacle, hindrance to your intimacy and right standing with God, he took it upon himself. But something interesting happens. He gets pierced in his side and blood and water comes out. And what's given, what does he give birth to out of his side? Well, he says something so interesting. He says, it is finished. The Hebrew word is kala, which is the word used to describe a bride on her wedding day, perfection. In other words, that moment was the finished work of what Jesus was introducing to us in the garden. What he saw with Adam and Eve, he was introducing us to a concept saying, this is not the finished work. This is an introduction. This is me showing you my heart. But what's coming is the perfection of a bride, one who is like me. Are you with me? So he, he has created us in his image. It doesn't just mean that uh, you should have a good self-worth. You know, that's, we use that scripture out of Genesis. I was created in his image, which means, you know, I should feel good about my body. Uh, seriously, it's like, yes, you should, but it's way more than that. You're created in the likeness of God. You are of his kind. You are not God, 
but you're made in his likeness of his kind, and you've, made, you've been made one with him through the blood of Jesus, through the cross. Amen? So now, Jesus, it's interesting, he brings us back to a place where we're finally equipped to, to fulfill the, the assignment and mandate that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden, which was to take dominion over the earth. What do you think God meant when he said take dominion over the earth? If he made you in, in his image and likeness, and then he says take dominion, he's, he's given this assignment to Adam and Eve to take the image of God across the earth. Okay? We take it and, and go, no, what it means is to, to have this hierarchical thing where Christians are to dominate the earth. In other words, we think the gospel means I should be CEO, I should have the most money, I should be in control of systems and, and operations on the earth. It's not kingdom. The least of these, those are the greatest. The servants are the great ones. That's what Jesus said. So his kingdom's upside down. He's not looking for, he's not looking for legendary CEOs. He's looking for laid down lovers. Amen? And if God puts you in a role where you, it's because he's called you to be laid down there in that intense role of being, right? But it's beautiful because take dominion, he's called us to carry an assignment, which is to carry the image of God on the earth. We couldn't do it, and he knew it from the start. He put the two trees there because he knew we'd eat of the wrong one. God, God wasn't like, oh, you, oh I, I said don't eat of that. He knew. He put them there because he knew you'll eat of that. And he was taking man on a journey, and this was the journey. You'll never do it in your own strength. God is looking for dependent people. He wants you needy. He wants you needy for him. He's okay with you being needy for him. You can be that awkward, attached, needy girlfriend with Jesus. <laughs> Why? Because what he, what he wants you to understand is that you were never born to live for yourself, nor were you ever born to prove yourself, nor were you ever born to have what it takes to actually be righteous. It was just never God's design. That was, that was man's pharisaical perspective on God's heart. We were so tempted to prove to him that we could do it ourselves, and he's just not interested in that. He's not interested. It doesn't matter how many times you wave it in his face. He doesn't want to see it. But God, look, at this. for the last month, I've been really good. He doesn't care. He inspects one lamb, the perfect sacrifice, and he says, holy, beautiful, perfect, blameless. When he looks at you, that's the filter that he looks through. Even in your deepest, darkest sin, I don't care what you did. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're struggling with. That's how he sees you. And the problem in the church is that why we get so broken and fragile as a community and communities across the earth is because we view one another through brokenness rather than through the inspection of the Lamb. See, if I... The only reason why I would get insecure or want to look at somebody else's brokenness or criticize, judge, or even discern... Dear God, forgive us. The only reason I would do that is because I took my eyes off the lamb. Because the thing is, do you think Jesus is sitting there discerning you because some of your intentions aren't holy? Do you think he's looking at your life and he's inspecting and, mm, that desire was, oh, that emotion, that response, that reaction. No, he doesn't do that. Even in the most wicked thoughts that you have, he looks through the lenses of the finished work of the cross. And he says, we don't regard Christ according to the flesh, so we don't regard each other according to the flesh, 2 Corinthians 5. We don't regard each other according to the flesh. It's why I want to kick the word vulnerability right in the gut. And I believe in honesty, you know that. Honesty is good, transparency is good. Vulnerability, I don't like that word. And I hate that it's crept into the language of the church. We need to be vulnerable. If we want to be worshippers, we need to be vulnerable. Let's be vulnerable with each other. Do you mind if I be vulnerable with you? This is what we do. God, forgive us, because what we're saying is, do you know what the word vulnerability actually means, the original meaning? Touch each other's wounds. Can I be vulnerable with you? I just want, can you touch this wound in my life? That just, I just need you to know that oh, that one really hurts. And then what we cultivate... Uh, I'm coming to habitation, sorry. <laughs> what we cultivate is... I'm going to call it a wound-licking club. And we say it's vulnerability. Because what we're doing is settling for sin. What we're doing is settling for an identity based on my brokenness. And then what we have is a Christian church, that we call it a Christian church, and, and it's a bunch of people broken and vulnerable. Everybody knows how broken and vulnerable we are. And we have a message of hope that no one can see in our lives. We have a message of hope. People come and sit in our services and go, yes, what that guy said just sounds so good. And I... 
wow, I would really love that. But then I look around me and all I see is wounds. <laughs> but Jesus paid for kalah, perfection, my bride. So either God missed it, which it's impossible, he can't, or we did. And we need to get his eyes and his lenses so that we can begin to see the way that he sees. We'll never be able to carry the presence of the God, the, the presence of God, the image of God on the earth if we don't learn to see how he sees, if we don't learn to stand in the finished work of the cross. Can I just say this to you? The justice of God is not proving something right. When God's just, just if, the justice of Jesus. When we, when we pray for the justice of God, I get so sad in my heart when I hear Christians pray for justice by praying that that one person who did wrong gets nailed. God, you come on that guy and you, you arrest him in the night and you bring the police right to his house, arrest that guy for doing this and this and this. And we call it justice. Like we've got to pray for... No, justice in the Bible is a totally different thing. In Isaiah 42, he says... Um, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he won't quench or snuff out. In other words, you can be bruised in that reed. You know, if you've been to the, next to a river, that, that reed that's like been hit so many times. You can be that reed and Jesus is like, I'm going to actually strengthen you. I'm going to breathe the life of you. I'm going to restore strength to you again. You can be that smoldering wick, like, you know, you come to church and everyone's like, wow, look at these guys, they're just burning for Jesus, and here I am, it's like the smoke starting to come from the wick, there's nothing left. And he's like, justice is that I will actually bring that fire back to life. See, if we learn to see the way that Jesus sees, if we learn to see the way that Jesus sees, we wouldn't be judging, criticizing, and analyzing everybody's lives. We'd be speaking the truth over them. Do you know that I've done a study on this, that the correction of the Lord is never emphasizing your failure, your weakness, or what you did wrong. When He corrects you, it's not a smack like your mom and dad gave you when you were kids. It's not. And I, I believe, don't spare that rod. I believe that. Scriptural as well. I'm grateful for the smacks, just for all the parents out here. <clears throat> but... When God corrects us, He educates us on who we are. Now, that doesn't mean He takes me to the naughty corner and I'm having an absolute tantrum and He's going, no, but shh, 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 let me tell you who you are. No, that's not what it is. Sometimes I have to put my hand on the stove and my hands burn. And then we go, the Lord is disciplining you, brother. No, I'm like, you touched the stove. So we go like, no, that's the Lord disciplining you. No, it's the, it's the consequence of an action that you did, which hurt. But actually in that whole process is a father who's loving you, nurturing you, saying, uh, actually, don't touch the stove. I told you that. Let me tell you why, because your hands are not made for that. Right? So, so we've got to understand God's heart. We've got to understand that, that actually when we're positioned in truth, the Holy Spirit is always speaking to you who you are. Why? Because you're an image bearer. You're called to carry the presence of God. You're called to carry His glory. You're called to, to create an environment on the earth where He doesn't just visit, He inhabits. We cannot create environments across the earth. Like, let me just say this. We cannot go to the nations and preach the gospel if we don't get this. Because the gospel that you're preaching is limited. It's not in fullness. And it actually will cause confusion. I will, I've made a commitment to our friends that we will not send laborers that are not firmly equipped, rooted, grounded, established in the gospel, in the truth, in the righteousness of God. So the message we live and preach is one of truth. If there's, if there's even a hint of legalism in what we preach, it's going to be destructive to the nations and it will serve the opposite purpose of why we went. Because we want worship. See, if you leave this room and you, you walk out of here introspective, blaming yourself, looking at your life, wondering what's wrong with you, why did I make all these mistakes, why can't I get it right, why can't I make better decisions, it's called the law. And the law came to reveal you of your need for Jesus. It didn't come to show you how to get it right. And if you live under the law, you live under judgment. 
When you live under the new covenant, the grace of God, you realize that that's exposing your need for Jesus. So what needs to happen is you've got to shift from that place, get dependent on Jesus, and receive what He's given you. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not that, that I'm this in you, that you have made me righteous, that I'm living in your righteousness, that you empower me to make the right decisions, that you lead me. The only reason why I'm not making good decisions is because I think I can make them. Think about that for a second. People come to me and go, man, I think God's asking me to leave my job. Don't think, seek. Did you hear me? Man, I think God's saying this and this. Don't think, seek. See, God's not holding out on you. When we're stuck, it's not because God's waiting or holding back. It's because we're so busy trying to do it in our own strength and waiting for God to come and affirm what I feel here, Lord. God, this is really tough. I think I should leave my job. I'm going to affirm that. <laughs> habitation, habitation, sorry. It's going to be tough coming up with a title for this, sorry. <laughs> Do you know, I just, the, the reason why the Lord's leading me in this way is because we, we called it heart house habitation for a reason. He's after your heart. He's building a house because he wants a home. Habitation means home. Did you catch that? He's after your heart because he's building a house and he wants a home. The house is not home without you. There's these scriptures, it's in Isaiah 11 and it's also in Habakkuk 2, verses 14. Have a what? Yeah. <clears throat> Got to be careful. When some of these Bible names are... <laughs> Habakkuk. <clears throat> to all Afrikaans people, I said Habakkuk. Kuk. <clears throat> it says that For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's an expectation in our hearts that the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters. Are you with me? So, so let me tell you how that's going to happen. It's not going to happen by God going, oh, there we go, and it just starts to spread. And See, this is the problem. When, the way we pray for revival we're praying for revival like it's some external thing that's supposed to come upon us. We've been praying like this for so long. And I, I remember like the Lord's been speaking to me about this for nearly, I don't know, probably nearly 10 years. I remember he used to say to me, revival is not a dripping tap that you're trying to sip from. It, you know, it, I, I feel like, and we call it intercession. We call it intercession, but this is what it looks like in the spirit. There's a tap and we're waiting for the next drop and we... God, bring revival. Rend the heavens, God. I know these prayers. I've prayed them myself. And Jesus is going like, I did rend the heavens. I, I, I ripped the veil in two from top to bottom. The, op the heavens are open over you. I, I told you to do one thing, wait for my spirit, and then, then run. So why have you stopped running? That's the response of God to our very sincere prayers of intercession. And I believe in intercession. But we, we cry out like, God, would you do something? And he's going like, I, I, I did do it. I'm actually, I'm actually crying out, would you receive what I did? Like Jesus, the intercessor, that's his prayer. God, would they believe in what I paid the price for? When he's interceding on our behalf, he's crying out, God, it is finished. Kala, perfect bride, help them to see it. Revival is not a dripping tap. Revival is the river that flows from the throne room of heaven. It is a strong current that will take you way past where you think you can go. Amen? Amen. And I'm not mocking intercessory movements. We are one. <laughs> I believe in intercession with all my heart. But for me, intercession is more like holy interception. 
where we begin to intercept in the Spirit and begin to catch the heart of God and say we will not allow whole generations of people to go without hearing the gospel. Not in our generation will we allow 3.2 billion people to not hear His name. And here's the thing. I'm touching on nations again. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. If God has put a nation on your heart, let it sit for two years and then see if you still want to go. Because yes, the time is urgent, but he's not in a hurry. He said he'd fulfill the Great Commission. He's going to do it either way. The reality is what we've got now is the instant gratification church where it's like, God put a nation on my heart. I have to go now. And then when you get a no, it's like, um, sorry, you're disobedient to the Lord because I have it on my heart. And what God's actually saying is, no, I want to steward a word inside of you. I want to actually cultivate that word. I want to train you and equip you. Amen? That's just putting that out there. In Isaiah 11, it's such a beautiful passage of Scripture. It, it begins to describe Jesus. It says, Then a shoot will spring from the stock of Jesse, David's father, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and of the uh, fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge. Listen to this. This is describing Jesus. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. Whoa. Jesus will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. So what does he make decisions by? What does he judge by? The finished work of the cross. And then he gives us his nature to live in that. And he's saying, this is how I want my beloved to operate together. This is where unity comes in. Unity is because I've chosen the heart posture of God and the Holy Spirit makes us one together because I don't judge or make decisions based on what I see or hear. It's settled in my heart, the finished work of Jesus. This is the, this is the word of the Lord for you. This is the promise of the Lord for you. Kalah, it is finished, my bride. But listen to this. Um, verse 6. He's describing... What he's describing what Jesus is going to bring, the, the way of, of Jesus on the earth. It says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatted steer together, and a little child will lead them. Interesting. And the cow and the bear will graze together. Their young will lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child will safely play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den and not be hurt. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day the nations will make supplications to the root of Jesse, that's Christ, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious." It really moves me when he's describing something because we go like, okay, so that means that when heaven comes, like the wolf and the lamb will be buddies. The lion won't actually eat the impala. You know, that's how we see it. No, listen to the, the, the imagery that he's creating here. The wolf and the lamb will be together. In other words, the justice of God is that those that might have actually been in sin and brokenness and, and all this nonsense actually would have redemption too. That what you're going to see is the murderer and the murdered redeemed in Christ. To be extreme. The justice of God. He makes all things new. See, when we get the gospel in us, it helps us to look at the most twisted, broken humans. And instead of seeing the horrific sin and, and and horrible acts that they've done, that we can see Christ. Now you go, what does this have to do? Well, how, how do we carry the image of God if we don't know how to be Christ to those who need Him most? Are you okay? Yeah. It says that the nations will make supplications to the roots of Jesse, so that's Jesus, who will stand as a signal for the peoples. And his resting place will be glorious. It references John 12, 32, which says, When Christ is exalted or raised up, he will draw all men to himself. Sorry, all men. So our responsibility as the people of God is what? Exalt and enthrone Jesus. See, wherever we don't enthrone God, something else will be enthroned. It's why everything is unto worship. 
The answer to difficult situations in your life, stuff that you're going through, is not figuring it out. It's worship. It's to enthrone Him. This is, this is what helps you create in your families and in your homes a place of habitation. Okay, I'm going to speak to dads and husbands. You ready? You got broad shoulders? When, when Jesus speaks to husbands, He says, love your, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's a, that's a big statement. And I just want to encourage you, he's very clear in the context of Scripture that it's a supernatural thing. So this is not a pressure on you to love your wife in your own strength the way that you see Jesus love the church. No, he's saying Christ in you enables you to actually represent Jesus to your wife and to your family, okay? So as, as husbands and as fathers, in this era and season right now, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are feeding our families with the finished work of Christ, the Lamb. And you say, why? Because that's how we create an environment for His presence to rest. He's not going to rest on your best efforts. He rests on the Lamb. We've been given, like Jesus leads His bride... He's calling fathers and husbands to rise up, lead your families in a, in a culture of presence. I, I'll tell you why I'm saying this. Because we're in an, an age and an era right now where more women are putting their hands up for the Great Commission than men. And, and yay, for women, I'm, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We have prophetic words about sending, training, and releasing women, absolutely. But God's actually raising up men and fathers in the household of God who are called to carry a governmental role, just like women carry a governmental role, but the role of the father and the husband is to make sure that we are cultivating and stewarding family environments where his presence can rest. This takes nothing away from the role of a woman. And if you're not married, and God's, there's so much more. But just this is for fathers and husbands right now. And, and I, I think the pressure that's come over fathers and husbands is when we are trying to produce or manufacture something in our own strength, you can't do it. God wants to use families to carry presence. The attack that's come in... in the last six months has been to bring division in families. To bring stress and tension in families. And it, it, it'll look for those weak, weak points or weak spots. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's high stress. Maybe what it, different things to bring separation and tension. But the reality is, why is it so valuable to God? It's so valuable to God because He rests on the Lamb expressed in the family of God. Your, your family, whether you have multiple kids, or whether you are just starting out a family, your family is the training ground for the household of God. Learning how to cultivate environments of presence in your family helps you understand the ways of God and the household of God, which is the vehicle through which the whole earth will be covered. God's not going to cover the earth, like I said, with a dripping tap, and we hope that something kind of washes over the earth. He's going to reproduce, like He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He's going to multiply His image across the earth through mankind. It's, it's why the Great Commission is tied to the end times and to the, 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 the end of the age. It's because actually through the Great Commission, the presence of God will cover the earth because people will go. Amen? I know I'm a little bit all over the place. I apologize, but I'm trying to navigate live as I feel the Lord like speaking to your hearts. Is that okay? And can I just encourage you? I don't expect you to remember everything I said. That's not why I'm talking to you. I'm hoping to hit something in your spirit, man, that makes you want to walk out this room, go be with Jesus. Okay? In Ephesians, Paul prays this interesting prayer. It's really powerful. Um, he, he prays two that, that I really love. But one... Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, 
the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Your inheritance is His presence. His, his inheritance is in the saints. It's, so when we say every tribe, every tongue, every nation, we're talking about every tribe, every tongue, every nation becoming saints so that he has his inheritance. It's why he says, ask of me and I'll give you, um, give you your inheritance. It's the nations. It's Jesus. It's Psalm 2. It's a picture of Jesus asking for saints, a bride. And it's that bride, it's that people, which we're going to get to this. I'll unpack habitation properly next week. But this hopefully sets you up to understand. Your heart is vital in terms of the household of God so that habitation can take place. God is going to cover the earth with His glory through His people, through His saints, because it's His inheritance. But it doesn't, it's not a task to be fulfilled. It's the way of lovers. It's the priesthood. It's a new covenant people that are fully given to Him, that know His heart and can carry His image on the earth. Can I, can I say it like this? God is looking for a people who will represent Jesus to those who don't know who He is or, or who have forgotten You with me? That's all he's asking for. And so even in your families, and, and I'm trying to make this practical for you so that you can take this for your life, for your family, for, for what God's called you to do right now. He has called you to carry the image of God, which is only going to come through the finished work of Jesus. So here's where it starts. Thank you. Thank you that you did this. Thank you that you have made me like you. Thank you that I have peace with you. Now from that place, Holy Spirit, you make the call. You lead me in how to do things. You lead me in how to speak to my children. You lead me in how to speak to my wife. You lead me in how to operate in my business sphere. You lead me in how to have fun. You lead me in all these things so that my soul is in submission to my spirit and I can live rested in you then maybe I'll actually enjoy holidays. See, it's this people, and, and again, I'll really teach this properly. There's so much to this, but it's this people that, that walk into a room and something changes. It's, it's this people, where if you look in their eyes and there's, there's something different. There's life, there's zeal, there's passion, there's adventure. I think what breaks my heart is, is when we see Christians that are coming to church, treating church like a hospital. We, I don't know if you ever remember those statements. Church is a hospital for the broken. God forbid, because there's no hope for the world if that's the case. No, the church is not a hospital for the broken. It's not. Please hear me. It's the war room of heaven. It's where we, where we come together and, and we get lit up by the finished work of Jesus. See, because... The journey of healing is only a journey because sometimes our heart takes a long time to yield to the finished work. The quicker our heart yields, the quicker we get whole. Amen? That's not a heavy, that's the truth. The quicker our heart yields, the quicker we get whole. God is not insecure, so if it takes a while for you to submit your will to Him, that's okay, He'll go on that journey with you and He loves you so much. But let's be careful and not call that... conviction let's make sure we're leaning into the finished work of jesus and not dressing up flesh and playing church that's not what we're here to do we're after his presence so when we say things like our occupation is the face of god it's a decision to look nowhere else but to him and and I, if i can say that to you today if you walk out of this room and you say when i think about myself i choose to look at his face when I think about my spouse, I choose to look at his face. When I think about my children, I choose to look at his face. When I think about my, my family or the church or, or my work environment, I choose to look at his face because it will help me love them rightly the way Jesus does. It is supernatural because it's not my own love. And I want to just say this. Be very careful, very careful that judgment and criticism doesn't creep into your heart and disguise itself as wisdom, but it's actually a pharisaical religious spirit that has, that has intent to bring guilt, shame, and condemnation. The, the, the goal of these spirits is always the same thing, guilt, shame, and condemnation. Because the thing about, um, about guilt and shame and, and even condemnation is that it, it's after your assignment, it's after making you feel disqualified from what God says you're qualified to do. 
When it comes to family and marriage and, and relationships and even in relationships within the church, if we are measuring one another, and I'm talking about just in your own heart, if we are measuring one another according to some sort of standard that we've set, we're always going to see hurt, pain, and brokenness in the church. But if Jesus is the standard, if the finished work is the lens through which we view one another, through, through which we view ourselves, wholeness can be ministered to us through the Holy Spirit, and freedom will be seen in the church. We're afraid to go there because we think it will justify sin. It's not the case. It's not the case. Freedom comes from that place because Christ rules. When we're not looking at our failures, when we're not looking at each other's failures, when we're looking at Him, and we choose to speak the life of Christ over our community, over our families, over our marriages, over one another, something shifts. And God will go on that journey with us. Amen? I don't know why I'm saying this, but I think what's happening this morning is that the Lord's actually going after our hearts. Can I, I'm going to just end with this. I know, what is the time? It's 11.03. Can you give me two minutes? Is that okay? If you need to go, I'm not offended. Um, this is for our hearts. I feel the Lord just encouraging our hearts, okay? There's a story about um, when, when Israel, they go into captivity and exile and they're taken away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's destroyed and they're in Babylon. And then slowly but surely, uh, God gives favor to Israel through the kings and they send Nehemiah and a team back to rebuild the walls and start to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay? So Nehemiah is tasked to rebuild the walls and he does that and it's an incredible story. And then he becomes governor and then they send Ezra. And Ezra is a scribe and he's a priest and his job is to come and bring the ways of the Lord back to the people of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to go read the story. I don't have the time to unpack it. But something very interesting happens. Ezra begins to read the laws and the ways of God and the scriptures over the people. And they gather and they begin to, if I can paraphrase, they begin to repent and, and they think that repentance looks like mourning. Like they come to weep and to go, we have turned away from the ways of God. We've been in exile. We've forgotten who He is. We've forgotten who we are. We've lost our identity. We're a broken people. Look at, we're having to rebuild ruins. It's like, it's, it's horrific. And so they come with this response to weep in brokenness. And then Ezra says something so incredible. He says, no, actually, go and feast. And he commands Israel to go and feast. And then he says this, and this is the... the uh, scripture on your fridge. He says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. The context of that scripture is not you having a bad day. The context of that scripture is responding rightly to God's ways. Hello? When God moves, the response is joy. And it says, it doesn't say um, your joy is your strength. Hello? It doesn't say your joy is your strength. It doesn't say you need to get yourself happy because when you're happy, you're strong. That's not what this scripture means, and that's what happens when you read it on the fridge, out of context. The joy of the Lord is the strength. It means I have to force myself to be happy. And it sucks. There's nothing worse than, than an unhappy Christian trying to be happy. I've seen them. They come to church. You go, hi. And they go, hi. And you're like, cut it out. We know you had a bad week. You're not okay. Just get on your face. Love Jesus. It doesn't say that. It says the joy of? So whose joy is it? It's not your joy. It's His joy. And it's His joy that's your strength. So once again, how do you get it? You receive it. He's given it to you. Go feast. Go feast on the Lord. Go feast on what? The finished work of Jesus. So when you're insecure, what are you going to do? Go feast. When somebody hurts you and you feel offended, what are you going to do? Go feast. When you're discerning somebody else, what are you going to do? And when we go feast on the finished work of Jesus, we get a healthy perspective, a pure heart. And when we're in that place, we can carry the presence of the Lord and represent Him well. And when we do that, He'll cover the earth with His glory. That will reproduce faster than anything we can do in our own strength. Amen? Does that make sense? In the Middle East, they let you ask questions in church. I'm too scared to do that. <laughs> because we have weird intellectual Westerners who are just looking for a fight, right? Feast on the goodness of the Lord. So that wasn't habitation. Habitation will come next week. But it's an introduction to get your heart ready. So, so please don't miss next week because I really do want to teach on habitation well. 
But uh, can you feel this morning that the Lord is speaking to your heart? And he's just saying, like, yep, situations, circumstances, all that stuff, it's real. It's loud. It's hard. It's difficult. There's a lot of pressure. But the Lord's saying, you're not called to live there. I started out this morning. I said there's two ways to live, only two. Submit it to your flesh or submit it to the Spirit. When you submit to the Holy Spirit, watch what He'll do. He gives you His joy, which strengthens you to live in everything He's called you to, no matter what. That's what I want to release over you guys this morning. Amen. When we were praying upstairs, there was this shift in the room with our team, and I started to feel like the Lord was calling out, speaking out the destiny of heaven over every single person in that room. And I believe it's overflowing into this room. I believe that actually what, what God did in the pre-service prayer meeting was an introduction because he's saying, if you will see who I've called you to be, you'll let go of the past, you'll let go of all the junk and the lies and the stuff that's trying to attach itself to you, and you will step into the finished work of Jesus, which, by the way, means you are no longer you who you were before Christ. You're now you in Christ. It's a different person. So you don't have to carry any of the guilt, shame, or condemnation, nor do you have to carry the insecurities of the nature of that fallen man. You've stepped into newness. In that place, you can dream again. In that place, there's a million second chances. In that place, mercy is new every morning. In that place, His grace is sufficient and His power is made perfect in what? Your weakness. That's where we're called to live. There's no bickering there. There's no slander. There's no judgment disguised as discernment. There's no... All the nonsense that we think is spiritual things, it's not spiritual. It's fleshly. And that's been crucified with Christ so that we can live and shine for Him. Amen? Will you stand with me this morning?